Good morning. Thank you guys for believing that rain doesn't kill people. There are a few who just couldn't take the chance this morning and be here, you know. I could get wet and die. Uh, Thank you for putting your life on the line. That's what hardcore discipleship is about. Yeah. Uh, A couple couple of further thoughts before we get into the word this morning. Uh, this morning is, is the last Sunday for some just dear friends that this church has benefited from tremendously over the years that they have been here, but they are moving to, I can't say greener pastures, but because they're moving to Texas that this, I don't know, that place is full of desert as far as I'm concerned, but, uh, but it is God moving them, and so with great sadness, this morning is the last morning for Joy and Armand, and I thought Ken and Wendy would be here, but no. Ken and Wendy are not here. Ken and Wendy are moving as well. When you guys stand up, just so folks can see you for the last time. Uh, they, are, they are such a huge encouragement and have intentionally... Uh, I think I need to give out your phone number so folks can learn. What does it look like to come to a church and then to be a part of a church? I don't know if I can think of people who have done that better. Um, you guys, you didn't just get saved and just come into this church. Uh, you, you have been saved for a long time and this church needed to become your home from another place and from a different background and you didn't know folks here and and you guys have come in here and rooted yourselves and made such an impact in our lives. And so please uh, pray for them as they relocate and God puts them in a new home where they will have, I'm sure, as great an impact as they have had here. It's been, uh, it's been a tough season where we've just seen a number of folks that God has joined to us. He has relocated them. I think I need to name these Sundays uh, Dandelion Sunday. Sort of feels like feels like God has just blown on our little patch, and up have gone dandelions into the air, and God has plant, planted them elsewhere for purposes that we trust are are going to be glorious in, in many people's lives. Last Sunday was the Barnett's last Sunday. I didn't get a chance. We prayed with them afterwards, but didn't get a chance to say that to you all. So if you don't see the Barnett's here, uh, they too have gone to uh, the desert in Texas. Uh, pray for them for that sad location. Uh, Can't we do this also? Can we pray for just a moment? We have a team of folks, as Michael shared, that is in Mexico this week. They arrived on Friday and Saturday uh, down at the ranch. And, you know, there's, there's just always things that can happen on a missions trip. This is a team that's going down to help build in addition to the school there at the ranch. And we're excited about how God is expanding the ministry of the school there. But, you know, some, there's always challenges when we go. Recently, there has been some, uh, some cartel, drug cartel activity in the area that's, that's been dormant for a while. There were in the area in the past few weeks a couple of uh, hostage kind of situations that tends to be restrained just to the cartels kind of getting into it with each other. It's kind of drug cartel on drug cartel activity, but it's still right there in the area. It's disturbing. As a result, some of the travel restrictions have caused other churches to cancel their trips. And so there were to be 
two more trips after us to help complete the building that we're working on. And uh, uh, for the purpose of Dean moving forward with that building, a bunch of extra weight now sits on our team to try and do in one week what other teams were going to do in a few weeks. And so we want to pray for them. Then they arrived and there was quite a storm uh, when they arrived uh, over the last 24 hours. It blew out the power in the area. And when the power goes out down there, unlike here, uh, not only do you lose power, but you lose water because you got to pump the water in and the pumps are down. And so just multiple issues are happening, but God is at work. And so we're here and going to touch that location here and pray for God's kingdom. Remember last week we talked about painting a target? So let's together paint a target at Rancho 3M this morning. So join me in praying together. Father, thank you for the work of redemption that has been placed in Guadalupe, Mexico, that is touching children's lives in a community of people. Uh, Lord, you are you're using teams like our team that's there this morning to further that work. And so, God, we join with them, with our hearts this morning, to say, Lord, overcome all the natural elements that are opposing your work in this place. Lord, overcome the spiritual elements that are against your kingdom coming and showing forth the brightness of your glory, seeing children's lives cared for in the gospel taught to them in a school setting. Lord, we pray that you will accompany our men and the ladies that are there serving the team and you will enable them to accomplish abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine this week, Lord. Let your power be there. Let your favor, Lord, be upon their lives. God, we can pray that as we saw last week because by your ministry in our lives, we live in a day of favor. So God, let that favor be upon this team and upon the location there and accomplish your great work. Protect them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let's see, I need some volunteers this morning. You just take your Bible and your notes and just come up here. There we go. Here's some chairs right here. Kind of cramped looking chairs. And you're going to get to come join me on the platform. You don't have to preach. You do have to bring your Bible, but you don't have to preach from it. Just follow along in it. Let's see. We draft a teenager. Ken, come on up here, buddy. <laughs> I know you, I, I know you were eager to do that. Come on up. Ken Belton, ladies and gentlemen, you can welcome Kenneth up to the platform. Let's see. Uh, let's uh, Natalie, you're nice and close. Natalie Hutchinson. Come on up, Natalie. Welcome, Natalie. Any chair you want, Ken. You get first pick, buddy. Whatever one you want there. Uh, how about, uh, let's see. We need a businessman. Where's Donnie Bourgeois? Oh, yeah, Donnie. He's hiding. I know he's here because I saw him a little while ago. Right, come on, Donnie. Come on up. Come on, Donnie Bourgeois. Ladies and gents. Uh, let's see. We need a pastor to come up here, even though I'm up here. I'm just impersonating a pastor. How about, Jason, come on up here, man. Come grab a chair. Abandon your wife for a moment. All right. Let's talk for a moment about these folks that we're inviting to be spectacles this morning. I'm glad you guys dressed up for today, knowing that you'd you'd be called up here. Uh, Four... Really different folks here, right? We've got a teenager, student, son. We've got a businessman here, father, husband. We've got a pastor, 
father, husband as well. We've got a homemaker, wife and mother. Um, but what, what do these guys have in common in their lives? Right? Uh, well, they all speak English. They're all from America. So you've got American culture. All you guys own a smartphone? No, okay, Natalie's the rare one. Uh, no smart. Donnie doesn't have a smartphone either? Wow. I warned somebody this morning that it's an amazing thing that smart, smartphones actually make you dumber. It's, isn't that, that you found that in your own life? You get one of those and you just become, you can't remember anything anymore. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Saints fans, are we all Saints fans? Okay, yeah. So we, we, we got some things in common here, and that's probably true for all of us that are gathered here. In, in the building here, we've got, we've got some things in common, uh, but, but we've got some real differences too. We've got some differences that might show up in the way that we probably wouldn't connect much outside of this room, right? Is that safe to say? Because we're just, we're just really different uh, in a bunch of ways. But something has happened to each one of us that needs to be front page informing news because it more informs why we would relate to one another than all the reasons we could come up with with why we would not relate to one another. Because each of these guys are disciples of Jesus Christ. A, a terminology, an activity, a reality, an identity has come into the life of every person in this room who calls upon Jesus Christ to be their savior and serve him and follow him. A new terminology has come into your life. You are a disciple. That terminology more defines you than anything else about your life. You are a disciple. The mission that Jesus was on, we looked at him initiating this mission, then sending it into the earth, was to go and make disciples. Now, we participate in that. We have a functional reality in that. But really, we we recognize when we read the Bible, it's God who makes disciples. It's the Spirit of God at work in us making disciples. So in some real way this morning, in this room, there's this invisible hand at work right now on every person who's a believer in here doing the exact same thing to all the diverse people that are in this room. The Spirit of God right now is doing the same thing to each one of these guys. At work making disciples. And that reality is bigger than any other reality in our lives. It defines us more than anything else about our lives. It gives us the ability to form relationships, to walk together, to connect with one another in a way that we would not have this reason in the world. This, this, is, this is glaringly obvious for some folks in a, in, a, in a very practical, real way every Sunday morning when we're to get together for church. It's glare, it was glaringly obvious because I got to be on the, on the other end of it yesterday. Um, we informed you guys that it's a bit of a surprise that Naisha Cobbins' mother had died uh, last Saturday. And the funeral for her was, was yesterday. And gathered together was a 
was a large family of people that, that loved her. I didn't realize she had seven children. Uh, that touched me in a unique way as I was sitting there watching all the kids sit there in the front row and think about their mom and what she meant to them. So as a, as a dad of seven, I sat there thinking, what, what, what would this be like for my kids to sit in this setting? Um, but, you know, the other thing that was, that was glaringly obvious is that I was, a, I was one of a half a dozen white people in a room of 150 people. Right? That's just reality. Because you look around right now and Terrell and Naisha and a handful of others are a small group of black people in the midst of a whole bunch of white people. This is, this is what I felt yesterday is what they experience every Sunday when they come to church. Culture's big. The, the culture of Naisha's family is, is totally different than the culture I grew up in. The way in which life gets approached, the relationships that are had, the values that get formed, the connections with one another, done very differently than the way that I grew up. So what, what do we have in common? What, what would make the ability for us to meet, for me to want to be at a funeral for them to want to be in this church. See, because there's something bigger that's defining who we are. Something bigger than our culture and our background and our economic status and our race. Whatever it is that can make up who we are, there's something bigger. And it's this thing that God has hung upon each one of us calling us a disciple. That's, that's, that's such a huge thing to have in common. That it's a redefining element that causes us to be able to have a relationship with each other in a way that the world can't understand. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean then for us to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean for, what does it mean for a teenager to be a disciple? What does that even mean? What's that terminology mean for, for Kenneth? What does, it, what does it mean for a businessman to be a disciple? Right? I mean, he's, these guys are living out the life that God's given them to live. What does it mean for a pastor to be a disciple? Now, that one seems easier to answer, doesn't it? Seems obvious. What does it mean for a homemaker to be a disciple? What, is, what does that mean? What does this term mean? You know, have, we, have we misplaced the idea that Jesus Christ stepped into our world and redefined us? Whatever it was that defined us before, Jesus came along and he said, come, follow me, and I will make you something that you are not right now. I will make you a different person. Come follow me. Question, has that reality really, really redefined who we are? Has it redefined who we are together, who, how we relate to one another? There's some real challenges in, in in this terminology, it's, it's common in the body of Christ. Is it common, but, uh, an unfulfilled reality? We say we're disciples. Are we, are we living like disciples in such a way that that terms, it's got some, it's got some weight to it. Or has that term become just this 
tinfoil feeling kind of a thing. You don't even know if it's in your hands or not. It just doesn't have any weight and reality to it. There's, there's a number of folks in the body of Christ these days who are making some noise in this category. I've, I've been noticing the, the publishing world the last few years. Uh, begin to, to read a guy named Francis Chan a couple of years ago. And, and notice Francis just sees a little bit of a boat rocker. Not real, not real okay with the way in which things in the body of Christ are. And then, then David Platt came onto the scene, wrote a book called Radical. If you've read David's book, David is, is Matt and Paul Mason's pastor in Birmingham. Uh, David began to kind of shake things up. You know, in a world where you don't use terms like prophet, they use the term prophet a lot about David. Uh, I, I, I believe in prophets, and my suspicion is that's how that dude's wired. The dude's wired to be a prophet to the body of Christ. It's just they don't use the title, so he gets to function that way without being called that. But it was interesting, I came across an article that was written earlier this year in Christianity Today. It was titled, Here Come the Radicals. David Platt, Francis Chan, Shane Claiborne, and now Kyle Eidelman are dominating the Christian bestseller list by attacking our comfortable Christianity. All of them calling into question. We use these terminologies. We say we're disciples. Do we really understand what that term means? How does it, how does it find its way into the reality of our lives? How does it redefine who we are and how we relate to one another and the cause that we're a part of together? A recent book Francis Chan has written called Multiply. He says, why is it that we see so little disciple making taking place in the church today? Do we really believe that Jesus told his early followers to make disciples, but, but he wants the 21st century church to do something different? None of us would claim to believe this, but somehow we've created a church culture where the paid ministers do the, quote, ministry, and the rest of us show up, put some money in the plate, and leave feeling inspired or fed. We've moved so far away from Jesus' command that many Christians don't have a frame of reference for what disciple-making looks like. And if there's this mandate on the church, and we all agree that there is, that we're to go into all the world and make disciples, well, then we just can't afford to be a people who don't know what that really means, to live as disciples and to make disciples. Like, I just reposture you just for a second. Um, for whatever reason, in the grace of God, it wasn't too far into my early Christian walk that if I was sitting in a meeting and listening to teaching, or if I was opening my Bible and reading, if I was reading some material to help me understand something, there, there was something inside of me that knew that everything I'm hearing, I am going to transfer to someone else. And so it wasn't too far into being a Christian that, that I would find myself uh, in a Bible study or sharing something with others or, or connecting with somebody to describe and talk about the Christian life or, or feeling the need inside of me to lead a Bible study so that these things could get communicated. That once that realm of reality was installed in me, that I was going to be a presenter of information, I started listening to information differently. And, and Jason spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Once the reality for any of us is we are not just disciples, like, like, like that's something that happens to us. We are disciple makers. Now the verb just changed the whole thing, didn't it? 
It's one thing to be a disciple because a disciple is a posture that sounds like it's just on the receiving end of learning because that's the primary element of that word. But once you flip that word into the rest of what Scripture implies, we are disciple makers. That means everybody here this morning needs to be listening with the thought that you're going to have to transfer what you're hearing into someone else's life. How are you going to say that? How are you going to present it? What opportunities are you going to have to transfer this into other people's lives? People in the body of Christ. People outside the body of Christ. Now, if you got no intention, let's suppose you're here this morning, you got no intention of transferring into anyone else's life the stuff that's in you, you do realize you will listen very, very differently this morning. If I told you, I'm not going to do this to these guys, but if I told these guys they're going to finish the message today. Which I'm just thinking about this right now. As a matter of fact, I'm making this up as I go, so... It's not beyond the realm of possibilities. I'm going to preach for a while and then you guys are going to finish. All right? So if, if every week we did that, I know we'd empty this place out pretty quick. If every week we just said, randomly, your face is going to pop up on the screen and you're going to come up and, and finish the message. The last 10 minutes are yours. How many of you know you would listen very differently throughout the message? You take notes like you've never taken notes before. You'd be sitting there thinking, God, what, what does anything he's saying mean to me? Why, why does it matter? Why does it matter to the rest of us? But you know what? If you're a disciple maker, you are going to finish the message. You're going to tell this to somebody else. You're going to tell it your way. You're going to tell it into your context. But you are going to tell what you're hearing this morning in some form or fashion to others. And if you have no intention of doing that, I do think these guys are right. We have emptied the term disciple-making to mean let's just attend church. Let's just live a little bit morally. Let's, let's give some money when the offering comes around. But there's a, there's a weight here. There's a weight in that, that moment on the mountain in Galilee where Jesus gathers his disciples and he tells them, That all the authority has been given to me and I'm transferring to you the mission. Go into all the world. Go preach the gospel. Go make disciples. See, the reason why Jesus can say that is because the, the good news has now been accomplished. That part of the mission, the accomplishing of the good news is done. The program moves into the next phase, right? We're no longer in the R&D lab. We're no longer researching something. You guys seen the commercials you're driving down the interstate? You see the, we're, we're this close to curing polio. Have y'all seen the commercials? It's a big sign on the billboard. Bill Gates is on the I-10. We're this close to curing polio. And if you know anybody, you've been affected by polio. Boy, you, hearing that does something to you, doesn't it? We're this close Listen, we're not, we're not this close to being reconciled to God. We're not. Right? I don't, we don't stand before you today and say, guys, hang in there. R&D is still going on. We're still developing this thing. It's still unfolding. We're this close. We're this close to returning to God. We're this close to being restored to him. 
and not being alienated from his life and from his goodness and from the presence that we sang about this morning. We're this close. Well, then you don't yet have good news. You just have the hope of good news, don't you? But we're not this close. All that needed to be done has been done. We're not this close. It's done. We can go announce the good news. That there's now a highway wide open to return to God through Jesus Christ and what he's done on our behalf. Come. Come return to God. Come receive his life. You and I have something better than the cure for polio. Or the cure for any disease. Can you imagine what you and I would do with medical information if we had we had this vaccine that we could, we could inject into people that has this unbelievable impact on every cell in your body. What, what it does is it, is it reprograms the cells to their original intention. And all disease and all dysfunction begins at some kind of a cellular level. When cells begin to operate wrong and cancer begins to occur, or disease and multiple sclerosis begins to take over, diabetes, or leukemia. Alzheimer's disease, mental illness. All these things take place in the body. What if we had this vaccine that if you just could, you just could inject it into people, it would reverse cellular deterioration and cause cells to function perfectly and every disease would be wiped out. But you do realize that that's what the gospel does spiritually. It does exactly that. It's a redemptive thing that God brings into lives and it turns the cellular decay upside down. And you and I have this weighty, weighty call from God. Go tell people R&D is over. It's available. They They can have it. They'll just receive this shot. All that cure comes into their life. Go and tell them. Go. Go let them know. Go announce good news. That's what every disciple is called to do. That's the weightiness that sits upon every life here that's a disciple. Every one of us. Now here's, here's the reality. That, that, that's finding its way to us here. This pursuit, this go into all the world, this make disciples finds its way to us right here today. This pursuit continues. And you know, interestingly, it it continues today as vibrant and as real as and important as it did when Jesus stood on a mountain and gave that decree. And I think it's important. We're going to look at something today. I I think that helps us understand what did God install in this to make disciple making survive? Because it was going to have to move away from that mountain. Jesus had told them, I'm going away. It was going to have to move away from the idea that Jesus would be hanging out with his disciples the way he did upon the earth. There's going to be a new program here. It's going to cross cultures and language barriers and race. It's going to survive from generation to generation to generation. It's going to cross oceans and go into new places. What's going to make this thing survive? What is God going to do in this thing that's going to make sure disciple-making survives? It doesn't just die as an idea. It doesn't become like the VCR, you know, or pay phone booths. When's the last time you saw a pay phone booth? Right? I mean, you just every one. So I I'm, I'm kind of feel like I'm in a museum when I see one. It's like, oh my gosh, look at that, a pay phone booth. You don't see them anywhere. 
typewriter tape. Remember that stuff? You know, you stick it in there and you correct, back it up, correct it, you know, white out. You know, that stuff's not around anymore. But disciple making is as viable and as important as functional. And God has made it to survive. What, what has God done? Tur- turn with me to John chapter 15. What has God done to touch disciple making? Now, let me just tell you where I'm going with this in the end. Last week I told you we were going to talk about small group ministry here at Lakeview. And the fact that we're, we're messing with it, we're going to touch how it functions, we're going to make some adjustments to it, we're taking a break here during the summer. And this, this message is about trying to get us to see what informs our thinking about small group ministry. I think you see it in this passage it gets helped greatly right this is this is that i always say this because i just think it, it bears a weight of uniqueness this is the last night jesus will be with his disciples all these years together he knows the next day's business is accomplishing the good of the gospel and this is his last time to be with them And John, John takes a huge section of the gospel of John to devote to these final hours. John chapter 13 begins the description of their gathering together on that last evening together. Jesus in John 14 is, he's pretty clear. He's a little blunt about just saying, guys, I don't know if you've been hearing me, but I just need to speak as clearly as I can to you tonight. I'm going away. And I don't know if he didn't get their attention before, but he's got their attention now. And so much so that they're freaking out. So John 14 is about Jesus comforting them. Comforting things to know, right? Don't freak out. Listen, it's been the plan all along. It's better that I go. If I go away, I'm going to send the spirit to you and the the things that you've seen me do, you're going to do by the power of the spirit in your life. He's going to comfort you. He's going to care for you. So it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing that I'm going. So he comforts them. Then he turns into this next topic in John chapter 15 that we're going to read here. And he brings these, I want to say, essential attitudes to maintain. He says, be comforted by this, but maintain these attitudes along the way. From here on out, moving forward, maintain these attitudes. This is how you need to think about your life and about being a disciple. And he installs two things here. One has to do with being a vine, and the other is interwoven in that illustration and has to do with loving one another. Right? Here's, here's my opinion about what's happening here. This is Jesus downloading some essentials. If the mission is going to survive beyond the mountain in Galilee with a big rah-rah from the Son of God saying, All authority is mine and I transfer it to you. Now go into all the world. If it's going to go anywhere, if it's going to go for more than a month, if it's going to go for more than five years, if it's going to go past that first generation, these things have got to go with it or it's not going to go. The things that are in this passage have got to go with it. I think Jesus is downloading permanence to the mission. He's downloading those things, those preservatives, if you will, that keep this mission from dry rotting 
and losing its ability to move. Let's read this together. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Right? Get this, right? This is last evening. Just finished comforting them. Moves to another subject. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Immediately, you're, you're into this longevity issue. Like you, you can take up Jesus is concerned that the mission survive, that it be fruitful, that it keeps on going. And then he lets them know that my father is tending this vine so that over the course of time, it's going to keep going. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, without me reading all this just yet, I want you to pay attention to something. Something is going to get emphasized in this passage over and over and over and over again. Seven times in this short passage, something is going to get emphasized. I'll tell you what it is later. See if you can pick it up. It's already been emphasized several times. Verse six. If anyone does not abide in me and he, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or it should continue or remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Right, did you see the thing that was seven times mentioned in this verse? Seven times this verse is about bearing fruit. Seven times. Disciples obviously bear fruit. Let me just chase a rabbit for a moment. How do you know if you're a disciple? Because if you're not a disciple, you're, you're not saved. If you're not a disciple, you're not going to heaven. How do you know if you're a disciple? Some people are taught 
to consider themselves a disciple because there's an event in the past that was meaningful, that had an impact on my life. I prayed a prayer. I went to a church service years ago and did this or said this or prayed that. I don't think that's wrong. Uh, but it sort of sounds like, you know, if trees could talk and you walk through an orchard and you walked up to the tree and said, how do you know you're an apple tree? And the guy, you know, the tree scratched its head if it had a head, scratches wherever apple trees scratch and freaked you out and answered your question. Said, well, um, well, I remember when they planted me, I had a label on me. I had one of those little tags that you get from Home Depot, you know. It said I was an apple tree. Is that a good answer? And heck, you could have just been a different kind of tree wearing the wrong label. (laughs) How do you know you're an apple tree? Check out my apples. (laughs) That's what he'd say. When he stopped scratching, he'd just show you some apples. Say, I'm an apple tree. How do you know you're a disciple? You bear fruit. You look like a disciple. Stuff is growing in you that looks like the vine. Because you're a branch. And this, this is like a, it's like a brief manual, if you will, for being a disciple. That's you know, all the variety that's in here, all the variety of guys here. This manual speaks equally to each one. Right? No matter what roles, no matter what uniqueness to life that they're playing. Whether you're here this morning, you're a, you're a teenager. You can think, oh, yeah, but my, my life is so different than the, the minivan mom up there, you know? I just, I don't relate to her. I don't get what she's doing or going through on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, I don't pay attention to people like that at all. What, do they even have a life? What's going on with them? I'm a teenager. Uh, the same stuff is going on in them. It's going on in you. You got a lot more in common than you think you do. If you're a disciple, if you're a disciple, your life's about bearing fruit. Their life is about bearing fruit as a disciple. Your life is about loving one another. Your life is about this quality of friendships that their, their life is too. Your life is about a mission. Their life is about a mission. You got a lot more in common than you think you do. As a matter of fact, if you are sitting here today thinking, I don't have a lot in common with a bunch of folks here. You know, you've been trained by the world in the category of what defines who you are. And you're looking in the wrong places. What defines who you are that's bigger than whether you're black or white, rich or poor, from this neighborhood, went to that high school, is are you a disciple? Because you got that in common with some folks in a huge, huge way. And this is very helpful. Let me me move through some quick thoughts here. It was very hard for me to look at such a big passage and not want to spend a lot of time in it. But let me just grab a few thoughts here on my way to what I believe the Lord wants us to be affected by today. Here's some information in this manual real quickly. One, it informs the disciple that he is a branch. A branch that's to be mindful of his attachment to the vine and that he is a branch among other branches. That's the healthy profile of a branch. And the way Jesus presents it is that it is presented to a context of more than one branch. It is a group of branches here. And the emphasis is on their connection together to the vine. A mindful, Jesus is trying to make them mindful of this. That you are a branch connected to a vine. 
And you know, what's the function of that vine? Listen, that vine is the, what is it? It's the source of life, isn't it? It's that vine that, through which the life travels into the branches. Where do the branches get their life from? Their life-giving sap flows from the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are not the vine. I am the vine. You got no source in you. You're a branch. And so if there's not vital connection to me, you're in serious trouble as a branch. But the good news is there is vital connection to me. So you are not in serious trouble as a branch. Life is flowing from me into you. Because I'm the vine. And you are the branch. You don't ever need to be freaked out, insecure, wondering, losing peace, losing sleep over whether or not you're going to have life tomorrow. And I know we are. That's true, isn't it? Right? Well, we got up here. Got a variety of panicky moments up here on this platform. People shopping for life. Right? You got a teenager who's looking for life. You got a businessman who's looking for life. You got a pastor looking for life. You got a homemaker looking for life. Right? In those moments, wondering, am, am, am I going to have life or not? Panicking. Where do, I, where do I get life from? Listen, disciples get life from the vine, but you know, that sounds great, but let's, let's panic together for a moment. Let's act like we're all suffocating right now. Let, let's, let's act like you're that kudzu vine. How many of you guys know what kudzu vine is? How do you know, along with cockroaches, it's right up there in terms of the curse. But it's growing all over your neighborhood. It's growing up your power lines. It's the stuff covering the beautiful uh, shrubbery that you planted in your yard. Okay, that's what kudzu vine is. I hate it with all my heart. And I can't get rid of it. Uh, but I weed-eated some of it yesterday. So I'm hitting it with the weed-eater. I mean, you ever seen the vines on these things? They're underneath your grass. They're like a network. I'm pretty sure AT&T does not have this many feet of cable in the universe. But all underneath my grass is this network. And then popping out of it are these, these little branches off the vine that are growing up my fences. And so I just whack them off right next to the vine. Zzzz. Well, I come back about two or three hours later and guess what those dudes look like? They're, they're still attached to the fence, but they're just these dried up kind of. Why? Because I cut off their life source. That little branch has got no life in and of itself. It needs the vine to have life. You know, some of us look at where, where am I going to get life from? You know, I'm, I'm going to dry up if. And you start transferring the responsibilities and the life of the vine to other addresses, don't we? Right? You can, you can see it up here. There could be some interesting non-vine sources of life for, for a teenager. Right? Teenagers are panicking. Are you panicking, really? Teenager, are you panicking because you think Jesus Christ is not going to provide life for you? Is that why you panicked this week? No! You panicked because you didn't know if you'd fit in anymore with your group. Or because somebody said something on Facebook about you or gossiped or no longer pays attention to you and you're freaking out, gasping for air, feeling like you're going to dry up like a kudzu vine. Because where's life coming from for you? It's coming from friends. It's coming from fitting in. And listen, God forbid you wear the wrong thing. 
Listen, I, I just want to be real, man. Be real. Why are you scared to death of the things that you're scared to death of? Why do you hide behind texting? Because if I go public, I go live, I could look like an idiot. And if I look like an idiot, then I could be cut off. And if I get cut off, I'm going to choke to death and not have life. Welcome to being a teenager. But you can be Donnie the businessman looking for life, gasping for life, wondering, watching the economy. Watching my business grow, having to lay people off, watching it turn up, watching it turn down, gasping, thinking, I'm losing, I'm losing my life here, I'm panicking, I'm freaking out, I'm, I'm irritable, I'm difficult to live with. Why? Because life is not about what's coming from the vine, it's about what's coming from out there. You're a branch trying to get life out there to be the life that's going to sustain you. And listen, that, that can be true of a pastor, it can be true of a homemaker, whoever you are. Something can be the source of life for you and you're going to live in terror. That thing's going to cut off your air supply. Jesus stands and says, listen, you're the branches, I'm the vine. You are never going to be without life. I'm going to supply life into you. No matter what circumstances, whether your business is going up or down, whether you're a teenager, that all the cool people hate your guts and make fun of you every chance they get. No matter who you are, no matter what season of life, no matter what your experience in your life, Jesus Christ stands and says, I'm, I'm the vine. I'm never going to fail you. I'm going to supply life into your life. You're the branches. Depend on me. Look to me. Trust in me. Hope in me. Listen, if, if we're going to get past the mountain in Galilee, that's got to go with us. The vine's going to be faithful to us. Let me move real quick here. A couple of more points. He informs the, the disciples immediately that not only is he the vine and they're the branches, but there's this, this person who's going to show up with some tools in his hands. He's the vine dresser. Don't be alarmed when he comes up. Don't be caught off guard. Please cooperate with him when he comes. Open the gate. Let him in the backyard. Right? You know, I don't know how many Christians are sort of, they're finding God roaming around in there. Life with pruning shears, cutting stuff off, freaking out, going, what the heck? What? Almost like we're guests in somebody else's house and we wake up one Tuesday morning, you know, we're house watching and some 48-year-old scruffy looking man's in the backyard hacking up bushes and, you know, and looking in things and walking around and we want to call the police, freaking out. It's like, what? What's this guy doing? Who, who is this? Who let him in the backyard? And then you, you call the, your friend that you're watching the house. There's this guy. He's roaming around the backyard. He's got like stuff. He's taking stuff out. He's throwing it out by the curb. Uh, should I call the police? Oh, no, 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 no. That's just Joe. He's the gardener. There's some Christians who God is at, he's loose in your life. Jesus said from the beginning, there's a vine dresser. He's got a strategy. He's up the stuff. He's making things grow. He's keeping things healthy. He's making it keep going. So that discipleship doesn't die at the mountain in Galilee. It keeps on going. He's at work. And, and he's doing stuff. He's pruning things. He's cutting things. He's removing the things that don't grow. He's at work in our lives. Right, you, know, you know what pruning looks like, right? You know what, do you know what it feels like? Right? If you ever... When I, when I prune, 
See, I, I, I'm not a good vine dresser. This is why God needs to be sovereign. When I, when I prune, you know, if, if something's growing and it's way out here, I don't like setback. I don't, I don't, like, I don't like the whole process. So you're not kind of like nip the tip off here. There you go. That's pruning. Uh, when my wife prunes, it's like you've got a nub of an arm when she's done. It's like a plant could be this big and you come back and it's like you're looking for the plant. And you go down. Oh, there it is. Wow. That's pruning. I don't know, babe. That looks like lethal injection more than pruning. But God's at work. And he's cutting things back in our lives. And sometimes we don't know how to interpret that. It looks like setback. It looks like, it looks like less growth. It looks like diminished activity. But it's the wisdom of God saying, this is, this is, how, I, this is how I keep you surviving in the discipleship realm. It's how I keep you in the game. This is how I keep you bearing fruit in your life. This passage informs the disciple that his discipleship is revealed through fruitfulness. Look at there in verse eight. By this, my father is glorified, right? This vine dresser is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Fruitfulness is what proves to you and anybody around you that you're a disciple. Fruitfulness. Well, what does that mean? What's, what does it mean to bear fruit in here? Well, you know, that's a big question. I think there's a lot of answer in it. But I do think it means exactly what that term is used elsewhere. The life of the Spirit in is, us, is in us. So I think the fruit of the Spirit begins to be observable in our lives. So there's love. And that's going to be featured in this passage, right? Immediately, love. Joy is also spoken of here in this passage peace and patience. So if you're a disciple, those, those things are growing and they're increasing in our lives. But, but Jesus also puts this in the context of I'm going and I'm sending you. This is our last night together and you're going to be on a mission. And I have chosen you. You didn't choose me. I chose you so that you would what? Go and bear fruit. So this is also, I think the fruit in this is also the, the fruit of disciple making. I think it is, a, it is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's the fruit of disciple-making. It's making more disciples. It's serving people and connecting with them and caring for them and seeing the purpose of God raised up in their lives. And then last thought here. It informs the disciple that the fruit produced through the branches is also related to the relationship shared by the branches. Right, it's a great illustration here, but it's got, it, it's got some realities to it, right? Look in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, all right? So immediately we've been talking about vines and branches and growth and fruit. And immediately Jesus injects these thoughts into that illustration. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Somehow, vine and branch has to do with loving one another. Jesus put these thoughts into this illustration. This is my commandment, that you love one another, 
as I have loved you. Greater love has no man. Now he's going to explain what that love looks like. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. In verse 17, he says, these things I command you. What? These things. What? The whole vine and branch illustration, the work of the vine dresser and the command of God to love and to create context that looks like what Jesus describes as friends who lay their lives down for one another. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You know, in the realm of, of fruit growing, if you've got any flowers that bloom at a certain point in your garden or you've got fruit trees, you know, there's some things that are essential to that process. There are things like, like water. You know, you've got to get good rain uh, take place certain seasons. Then there's this basically the birds and the bees element, right? There's pollen. Pollen's got to get, it's got to get to these blooming flowers that produce fruit. So you got water and pollen that kind of come into this fruit bearing process and, and inform it, make it work. Jesus talks about all this fruit bearing and, and he brings two elements here. He says, if, if you're going to bear fruit, you're going to need to have relationships that are filled with a love that looks like a sacrificial God, a love like I have demonstrated for you, a love like I've experienced from the Father and have transferred to your life, a love that's not always deserved love, a love that cares, and a love that is willing to lay down its life. We sang that song this morning. You gave, you gave your life for me. Right? Does that song just wreck you or what? It wrecks me. Because I, I, I get on the receiving end of that's how you love me. That's the distance you would go in my life. You would lay down your life. Now, when the Son of God lays down his life, it's a glorious sitting on the throne life that's getting laid down so that he could deal with my sin. He could bring me back to him through his death and resurrection. And he says, if you guys are going to bear fruit, and I've said it seven times, your disciples to bear fruit, to bear fruit, to bear fruit, to bear fruit, to bear much fruit, to bear fruit, to bear fruit. I mean, are we getting the message here? Disciples bear fruit. Disciples can look to the edges of their branches and see fruit. And if you're going to bear fruit, then you're going to need water and pollen. You're, you're going to need love and friends to go with you in this process. As Jesus installed these thoughts together. So disciple-making, if disciple-making is going to continue, these things have got to be a part of who we are as a people. They've got to inform relationships on how we live, how we live towards one another. If Jesus stood 
on the mountain in Galilee and launched the Great Commission, if that was the signing of the Declaration of Independence, if you will, it was, we're going to war. Woo! People fired guns in the air, if you had guns, or they threw their swords up in the air. And they were excited to go on this mission. And then as they went, you know, kind of just like the forming of a nation, as they went, they wrote the Constitution. Hey, as we go, these things are going to need to be a part of it as we go. That's kind of John 15. There's go, and then there's as you go, you're going to need these things along the way. You're going to need a love for one another. I command you. You've got to love one another in the way that I've loved you, and I've called you my friends. You are my friends for whom I have gladly laid down my life. And if discipleship is going to get past the edges of this mountain, if it's going to transfer across this globe, if it's going to survive from generation to generation, then that's got to go with it. If you're going to bear fruit and glorify my Father, then these things have got to go with you. See, Jesus is very concerned about the future. Jesus is not just concerned about immediacy. He would be such a bad American, wouldn't he? It's just not about right here, right now, what works, what feels good. It's about the future. It's about persevering. It's about where is this thing going to be five years, ten years, a hundred years from now? Listen, I don't know if Christians have a view of that anymore. I don't know if we recognize that the franchise that belongs to God called the church has a future. Five years from now, a hundred years from now, when you and I are no longer in it, here locally, or upon this earth. It has a future. And what you and I do with it touches the future. So therefore, what we do, how we live, the values we hold, matters for the future. Now listen, I've got to be honest, I get in some trouble in this category with folks. I think every Christian needs to live the way I'm about to describe. But I know I have a responsibility too as a pastor who's responsible for what's going on around here and why is it going on? There are moments when there are, there are thoughts coming into the body of Christ. There are ideas about how to do this thing, how to do church, how to do, what to emphasize in the Bible. And you'll, you'll hear me, I, I'm, I'm analytical. I'm analyzing those things. I'm quoting other authors. I'm talking about what's happening in the church world and I'm not always saying nice things about it. And I get some people who don't like that. I do. I get some feedback from folks who just don't like that. And see, there's something operating in me that I hope operates in you, but it's going to operate in me. I'm concerned with what this thing is going to look like when it grows up. It's new. It looks okay. It looks safe. It's a new approach. It's working right here. Well, that's not the only evaluation that needs to go into it. What is that thing going to be 100 years from now? What's in that thing that we need to be aware of that years from now will not be furthering the purpose of God? You do recognize you you live in a city that still has in place for most of its citizens the idea that if you're a priest before God, you wear a collar and you got unique access that the rest of the people who are called Christians don't have. Do you realize that there was a day when somebody thought that would be a good idea? And introduced it to other Christians. And it outlived them. Actually, some of them thought through some things that 
They were concerned about heresy. They were concerned about how people were interpreting the Bible. They were concerned about some good things. But they installed an idea that took the priesthood away from every believer and gave it to a special group of people. And that idea lived on and on and on and on to where many people who are Christians began to devoid themselves of the idea that I have that access to God. I have that kind of a relationship with God. I have the ability to hear from God, to receive from God. Listen, that thing got a life beyond just that little local address and it continued on. Somebody needed to care about the future in that moment. And historically, some folks did. They faced their own set of challenges when they did. It mattered the day that the activity of the Holy Spirit in people's lives began to change, began to diminish. It mattered the day that somebody came along and said, this is diminishing because it's not continuing and introduced an idea that's not in the Bible. So that Christians began to get this conclusion that there was this time when the Spirit was this way and now there's this time where he's not that way anymore. That idea lives on today. It's still all around us today. Somebody needed to say something about that. Somebody needed to be concerned when that was being planted in the life of the church to say, this thing's got a future. What's it going to look like when it grows up? There was a point in history when you would have been taught, it's still around, that if, you, if you're baptized as an infant, you, you have come into the kingdom of God. That wasn't always around. That was an idea that somebody needed to say, whoa, 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 whoa. What's what's this going to look like when it grows up a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, that people are convinced that because of an act done to them, when they had no faith in their own life or repentance in their own life, and they, they never looked like they bore fruit and proved to be a disciple ever, But they were convinced that something happened to you way back when and you're good. Listen, I grew up thinking that. That idea survived into my own life. I never thought to question whether me and God were right. Until I heard somebody bring to me the thought of repentance. And the reality of who God was. And I I saw my life differently. See, those ideas, they survive. They have, they have consequences. You and I are living in ideas today that are going to outlive us. There's ideas all over the church world today. I mean, look at them carefully. You know, in the 50s and 60s, Norman Vincent Peale decided that positive, the positive mental attitude movement got its, got its foot in the ground there. It had moralistic elements to it. Teaching people to be positive, to identify good things in life and to pursue those good things, to pursue disciplines to create those good things. And it traveled into the church. And the church took ideas from the Bible that sounded like that and began to use them that way too. And so now positive and being faith-oriented and speaking things and saying things would create for you a future. And the teachings all began to be about how to use faith, how to mold your life. How to be a a child of destiny and everything began to be this positive element. It's all about positive. And then churches began to absorb that as the way in which they would be defined. And next thing you know, they, they they don't talk about the parts of the Bible that aren't always positive. 
They just don't talk about that anymore. That's a dangerous thing. Can you freak out with me? When you, when you get around people in the body of Christ who, who basically, you know, they, they kind of do this bits and pieces, but they decide, that's our Bible. Right there. That's our Bible. We've extracted all the verses about this, and that, that's our Bible. Come join us. We're, we're first church of the little Bible. Come join us. We have a membership class. Come be a part. Somebody needs to freak out. Somebody needs to say the same God who wrote that wrote all this too. And this all means something. And as a matter of fact, you can't understand this without understanding all this. Don't do this. But there are churches today that that's exactly what they're doing. And they live in that way. And, you know, it used to be the jury was still out. I don't know. The jury's coming in on some of these things. The jury's still out. You've been around. You guys, some of you have grown up in a seeker-sensitive type of a environment. And there's some things about that that I appreciate that I think are very appropriate and helpful. But there are some things that are just dangerous, dangerous about this approach. Right? You do realize this is the main gathering of the body of Christ right here. Everything we do after this falls off tremendously in terms of who will come. And, and we're actually a church that gets pretty good participation beyond this meeting. You get churches who create a style that says, here's what we're about on Sunday mornings. We're about thrusting open the doors to the lost. We want people who don't know Christ to have a place where they can come and get introduced to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to build this meeting around what meets them. And some of those folks just don't have an appetite for certain things in the Bible. They don't want to hear about spiritual warfare. They don't want to hear about the wrath of God. They don't, they're not real big on repentance. You know, they, just, they just need to be one and wooed. And so we're going to design the church around what would affect those folks and help them come to a decision about Christ. And so churches back in the 70s and 80s began to form their ideas about how we're going to do church around that kind of a concept. That's not completely wrong. I think we need to be sensitive and caring for folks. But when you realize this, that church is going to gather 3,000 people on Sunday morning and repeatedly over and over and over again, that's what people are going to hear. They're going to hear a piece of the Bible that emphasizes a few things to the neglect of the full council. And then you're going to have, but we have other meetings. I know you do. And you get 10 to 20% of your Sunday morning crowd to show up for them. So 10 to 20% of the people that you are discipling get to hear anything beyond. Don't you want to be introduced to this Jesus who loves you? Where does that go? A hundred years from now, when people, when 80% of the people gathered on Sunday morning have never seen the bigness of God, have never been fully counseled from the word of God, what kind of church are you going to have a hundred years from now when that's been the case? Listen, we need to be concerned about what we're doing right now and how it transfers into the future. God was concerned about it. Last night together, it wasn't just going to all the world. It's when you go. If you're going to bear fruit and this thing's going to go anywhere besides this mountain, you're going to need to go loving one another and building relationships where you actually are friends together. Otherwise, it's going to be a short trip. Now listen, what's this, what's this got to do for us? Why are we talking about this this morning? Um, because we're concerned about fruit bearing. We're concerned about that. The covenant group ministry that we've created. Everybody got one of these little things? Look in your bulletin with me real quick. 
told you guys last week I would try and write some things down so you could follow. the adjustments that we're considering. <clears throat> and I, and I, I think I can use the term from this passage carefully. Uh, we're, we're seeking to prune the covenant group ministry. Seeking to prune it. Not trying to wreck it. Not finding fault with it. It's horrible. It's the branches that bear fruit that the vine dresser prunes. So we're, we're, we're seeking for this to bear more fruit. And so therefore we're, we're adjusting some things. But follow with me here so you can think along with us, pray along with us. If you're new, there's a little paragraph there. You know what? What the heck's a covenant group anyway? Well, covenant groups are sm- our small group ministry that exists to foster biblical relationships and fellowship. We believe that a vital element of ministry and growth for every Christian is found in walking in meaningful relationships in the body of Christ that feature care, encouragement, and accountability as we seek to apply biblical truth to our lives personally. That, that should characterize relationships for us. The groups have typically been made up of 15 to 25 people. They meet two to three times a month, usually in the homes of various members. The meetings include elements of prayer, worship, discussion of biblical teachings, friendship, and fun. If you're new to the church, uh, I want to introduce that ministry to you. I want to encourage you greatly about its importance in your life. And, and, and you are very much part of the reason why we are seeking to make some adjustments. So what's the deal with adjusting these groups? Well, the covenant group ministry has existed in the current form for over 13 years now. Well, we intend on continuing to aim at the same priorities. It's important that you hear that. The way in which you go about doing things often in scripture is not spelled out. The priorities for what you're pursuing though often is. So we're not changing anything that we're after. We just may be changing the way in which we get there. It has, been, it has become necessary for us to consider possible adjustments that may better take into account the variety of needs that exist in our changing congregation as well as lifestyle changes that are affecting how people participate in these groups. Well, we are very grateful for the fruit that has come from covenant group ministry over these years and consider that ministry to be one of the most shaping influences in Lakeview. This is, this is not a disappointing moment. Uh, Very grateful for what that ministry has created in our midst. We also recognize that God prunes the branches that bear fruit so that they may bear even more fruit. So what's the aim of these adjustments? One, to reach more Lakeview attenders who are on the fringe. Over the past few years, we have had an increasing number of people who attend Lakeview, but don't participate in the covenant group ministry. While we are aware that there are limitations in whether or not you can reach everyone, listen, here's a reality. Some folks just don't want to be caught. You know who you are. You know it doesn't matter whether we give away a new car every week in covenant group ministry. You are not coming. (laughs) We feel we need to do more to strengthen the ministry of the church into these lives. All right, can you, can you just draw from the message we just did from John 15? If fruit bearing is a priority for a disciple, if the hope of fruit bearing has associated with it relationships that are full of God-like love and friendship, then can you understand why that's important to us? 
Because I see an I see an empty building here without John fifteen. I see disciples who think they're disciples, but they're not disciples because they don't live like disciples. I see a hundred years from now a church very different than what we see in the book of Acts. As people fail to love one another and walk in these kinds of friendships and connections with each other. Two, to increase the consistency of covenant group participation. Seems clear that lifestyles of most people have become more hectic and overscheduled than ever. Contributing factors can include extended family care, job changes, health issues, or involvement in a variety of other ministries. Then there's a reality that some of the church is simply too absorbed in the activities of this world. So I want to make sure you hear that if, if you're living a life that is challenged to be consistent, uh, I'm not trying to stand here today and say, you've only got bad reasons for that. You may have some very sound, good, appropriate reasons in your life that you are challenged to make this a priority. That may come and go. There may be seasons of that. And we want to make sure we're understanding of that when we communicate this to you. We're not trying to overlook the challenges. But then at the same time, I don't want us to overlook the fact that sometimes when we, when we gasp for air, and we feel like I'm so busy. Uh, it's not the church's calendar that's creating that. It's just not. It's not fair to say the church is killing me. Um, if you really look and see, you might find some other things or the things holding the battle axe in your life that's killing you. Whatever the contributing factors are, we're seeking to consider some schedule adjustments that may help people to become more consistent. Today, even long-term members of Lakeview are fighting for consistency. This is not just new people. It's not just people on the fringe. It's people who've been in the church for years, been involved in covenant group ministry for years, who have a hard time figuring out how to show up on a regular basis. We will be considering how we might install some breaks in the calendar, kind of similar to a school year, that allows for people to incorporate other dimensions of life into these breaks during the summer and around the holiday season. Right? There are other things that are legitimate things that you need in your life. And you know, when we say, hey, get into a covenant group, unfortunately, we, we don't have a time booth out there that says, look, if you join a covenant group today, this is a limited time offer, but you get an extra hour every day, all right? You're going to be able to do this because we're going to give you more time. We, we can't offer you that. It's not coming. So you have to take time from elsewhere. And, and there may be many things that are very important and real and God called them to be in your life that you're trying to figure out how does this thing sit in my life? And so do we have some responsibility to try and create space and breathability for people in these legitimate spaces of their life to where you can run in a season, connect with your group, support, build relationships this way, and then at least have other opportunities and other moments of your life to do some of the things that are important that you're also doing. That's what we're attempting to do there. Third, to create a rhythm that better serves our leaders. We cannot overstate the gratitude we have for those who have been leading our covenant groups over these past 13 years. They have led the way in providing an example of what it looks like to care for and protect and strengthen the flock of God. In addition to their group meeting and preparation and member follow-up responsibilities, we seek to provide leadership equipping to the leaders in areas of doctrinal, practical and personal ministry. So it's not just the meetings they have with you that they are a part of. They have meetings with us that they have to create time to meet with us in order to serve you guys. When you add to that their responsibilities in caring for their family, their extended 
family and their jobs. It would seem wise for us to seek to create a rhythm of ministry that gives them some time to pull back, simplify their lives, and receive further training and equipping. We're hoping that we can create a schedule that better serves their needs. Listen, you know what's amazing? I'm writing that out and I'm thinking this is our intention and goal for these folks without them having complained and asked us to do that. Now, we know because we're walking together, there's wear and tear on every month of the year. You are leading meetings, having people in your life, having people in your home, pursuing folks, preparing for meetings. And then we add to that equipping times where not only do you have the meetings for your group, now you got an extra meeting with Keith or the other pastors uh, during this month. So we got to make more time for that. You may not be aware of all that that is going on. But I know you're aware of the activities in your own life where you have job responsibilities and you have extended family that all of a sudden someone is sick or you've got to take care of your parents or you have grandchildren to care for, uh, health needs that pop in and out of your life. Now add to that, that meeting is coming to your house and you're going to lead it this Thursday night. Come rain or shine. Two to three times a month, every month out of the year. It may serve them to have some flexibility and some help in other things being a part of their life. Let me just say something that's a growing concern for me is some of these leaders have, have done what, what I think nobly they have done in answer to the call to make disciples. They have welcomed 20, 30 people into their lives. Well, you know what? They, they have had to make room for that by diminishing other relationships in their lives and welcome these into their lives. I don't know that biblically that, they should have to forfeit all other relationships in their lives to lead and care for these people. But maybe this schedule needs to make room for them to continue to have lifelong friends that they've had all their life in this, in this church that aren't in their group and that they never get to see because their life doesn't have any room for that. Uh, I, I want us to see if we can think that through differently for them. Number four, to bring some diversity to this ministry. While we believe that activities like prayer Fellowship and application of God's preached word to our lives are consistently needed. We also recognize there are other needs we would like to make room for. We're anticipating creating some meetings that bring all the covenant groups together for ministry and worship, fellowship and fun. We also anticipate creating groups that may run for shorter durations, wouldn't be a permanent group, just might be a short-term study together where the group's meeting are focused on thematic studies or biblical studies that are designed to serve important needs in each of our lives. And last, to bring needed fresh stirring into the ministry. We've placed a a high value on longevity of relationships in the church and don't apologize for that and, and seek for it to continue. There is a unique benefit that comes from people walking together and caring for one another for extended years. We've also seen groups be refreshed and helpfully stirred by the addition of new people. Given the gravitational pull downward that happens in, our, in all areas of life, it is realistic to think that we need some fresh people and stirrings in our lives from time to time. So we want to stir the groups up a little bit. We want to move folks around. We want to give you the freedom and the ability to move around. But please don't hear this. Put this note in the bottom there. You are not required to leave your existing group when the groups continue. Where consistent involvement and healthy relationships are taking place, we would encourage you to continue in your group. If you're in a group where there's life for you, there's relationships for you, you're able to consistently be involved with those people in your life, uh, our suggestion would be don't change anything. 
keep doing exactly what you're doing. Keep relating to those people. That's fruitful. That's a fruitful setting for you. If, however, you have, you claim to be in a group that you haven't been in, but two or three times over the past year, that kind of situation really isn't working for you. Now, if it's a seasonal thing, a health issue, a job change, and you just haven't been able to schedule that, that's different. But if you just kind of remove from functioning relationships in a way, well, then, then maybe going back to that group is not the answer. Maybe going to a different group is an answer that you should consider. All right, now here's the last thing I want to stir us toward. We're taking a break this summer. So you're not going to have your regular meetings with your covenant group happening two to three times each month throughout the summer. But the summer break, we hope, is going to be a hospitality heaven around here. Hospitality busting out of every life because every one of us are disciples. And every one of us is called to do something what we're hearing today. I hope you took careful notes because you do need to transfer this into somebody else's life. You're a disciple maker. So this summer, is it possible to diminish group meetings and increase fellowship? Is that possible? Sometimes we may need to admit that we've become too dependent on small group leaders and other structures of the church to do what each and every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to do. We love the fact that so many people gather when the groups meet, but we also want each believer to feel the call to create opportunities for fellowship and care for others in the body. Over the long haul, we believe that will only enhance our small group ministry. Listen, all of us can get into this default setting where the small group leader will create the meeting. When we get together with people, whenever the group meets, that's when we get together. When are we going to have like a special fun dinner? And we almost start asking that question to the leader as though it starts to feel like, listen, I can't do that on my own. I don't have a license. You're a professional person gathering people. You've been through the covenant group leader school. Uh, so when are we all getting together for a meal? Uh, almost as though we can't do that on our own. We, we can't go seek out people and, and just.
really volunteer for this, so I'm just going to draft you. Uh, so when I call your name, me and you. That wasn't all 100 years from now. Get together. Really volunteer. Get together. 